come in. Well, I'm Tommy Grimes. What if I should ask you, do you believe in ghosts? Probably you'd answer, certainly not. That would be my answer if you were to ask me. But then if I say, are you afraid of them? What would your answer be? I would say yes, scared to death. Now how can this be? That something we do not believe in can rouse such terror in us. We'll attempt to tell you in the story that follows. He was so handsome. You have no idea. Tell me. And very intelligent, too. I'm sure he was. And kind and thoughtful. Of course. And he loved me. I'm sure he did. And I loved him. Of course you did. Then how did it happen? If we loved each other, how did it happen that I killed him? Our mystery drama, The Sensible Thing, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Elspeth Eric and stars Lee Richardson. Now for our story about ghosts. Those non-existent forms, shapes, spirits, specters, apparitions. That track us by day, hover over us by night, color our thoughts and affect our feelings. Pervade our work and decide our destinies. We could call our story, How to Kill a Ghost. But instead we shall title it, The Sensible Thing. I'm Curtis Bisbee. I was almost 60 when my wife, Emily, died very suddenly. I did the only sensible thing, sold the house and everything in it, and moved to a hotel near my office. Then last year, I became bored, restless, and I couldn't understand it. I'm not a neurotic man, never one to become depressed or unhappy. But I began to feel there was a threat hanging over me, like a small black cloud. And I decided the sensible thing was to get married again. Only I hadn't the faintest idea how to go about it. Until suddenly, it struck me. Yes, Mr. Bisbee? Come in here, will you, Helen? Uh, don't bother to bring your book. Why hadn't I thought of it before? It was the only sensible thing. Well, sit down, Helen. Yes, Mr. Bisbee. I'm not taking you away from anything important, am I? Oh, no, sir. How long have you worked for me, Helen? Why, 22 years, Mr. Bisbee, come June. That's a long time. Yes, sir. Do you mind my asking, how old are you, Helen? I, uh, I'm 47. You live alone? Yes, I do. Mr. Bisbee, is there anything wrong with my work? Oh, no, no, no. I thought maybe I was... Uh, you know, slowing up? No, nothing like that. You're fine, Helen. We've always got along pretty well, haven't we? Uh, I've always thought so. Would you... Would you care to marry me? Did you say... My wife, Emily, died a few years back, Helen. Yes, I know. I'm all alone. You alone? Well, yes. Where do you live? I have my parents' house. When they died, I stayed on in it. We could live there, I suppose. I'd like to live in a house again. It's a nice house. All right, then. 
We'll get married. If you really want to, Mr. Bisbee. You'd best start calling me Curtis. I got a judge, friend of mine, to marry us in his chambers, and we moved into Helen's house that afternoon. I was surprised and pleased when we pulled up at the curb. Nice house, very nice, small, white frame with green shutters, nice lawn, not too big, some fine shade trees. Mrs. Bisbee, we're home. May I assist you? Thank you, Curtis. The house looks nice. I had somebody in to clean. I thought I should. My wedding day. Generally speaking, I do the cleaning myself. What's that? Oh, oh, that's Trixie. A dog? Mm-hmm. I guess I forgot to tell you. Oh, that's all right. I like dogs. I have my keys right here. Dogs are okay. Dogs are fine. Here we are. After you, madam. Well, now, here we are. Trixie, this is Mr. Bixby. Trixie? Oh, good dog. Nice dog. A very nice dog. Oh, I'm so glad you like her. It would have been terrible if you didn't. Of course I like her. Uh, we'll be good friends, won't we, Trixie? Sure we will. <laughs> How old is she? Seventeen. Going on eighteen. Seventeen? That's pretty old. Oh, no, it isn't. When a person, 17, will be the same as uh, 119. I call that pretty old. Some dogs live to be 20, 21. I knew one once, a friend of mine had a dog live to be 24. No, 17 is nothing. 17 is young. See, Trixie is a young dog. You look at her. She's not old. She's young. Okay, okay. She's young every doorway. She's a young dog. That was a shocker, all right. I'd never have suspected Helen could be so emotional. She'd never shown the least sign of instability during the 22 years she'd worked for me. Maybe I'd made a mistake. The thought did cross my mind. Maybe I'd been foolishly impulsive about this marriage. Well, too late now. Helen soon got hold of herself and settled down. I regained my faith that this marriage would turn out to be just what I needed. Till about a month later... Trixie won't eat her dinner. Oh? Wouldn't eat yesterday either. Last week she threw up twice. Well, what do you think you should do? Take her to see Dr. Damon, I guess. He's her doctor. He's taken care of her since she was a tiny puppy. Oh, good idea. Take the day off. I'll manage by myself. Curtis, would... Could you possibly come with me? Come with you where? To see Dr. Damon. You want me to go with you to see a vet? When I take Trixie. What for? Well, I don't know. Just to... To be there. In case... What do you mean, in case? Nothing. I didn't mean anything. I don't know why I said that. You mean in case the vet says she's an old dog and the best thing would be to... He's uh... not going to say that. If I went with you, what about the office? We can't both stay out. I know. It's all right. Just forget it. I'll take her by myself. Well, what difference would it make if I came with you? No difference at all. Just forget it. Oh, wait a minute now. You're going to cry? No. No. Yes, you are. You're, you're crying right now. It is all right. I'm sorry I brought it up. You just forget I mentioned it. Look, if it's important, I'll come with you. You mean that? Why, sure I mean it. I won't go to the office at all. We'll take Trixie to the vet together. Feel better? Yes, I do. I do. I feel better. 
With Trixie huddled in the bottom of the carrier, we arrived at Dr. Damon's place. The doctor turned out to be my age or older, but very energetic, very agreeable, and he let us stay in the examining room while he went over the dog from nose to tail. How old is Trixie now, Helen? Seventeen. She'll be all right, won't she, Dr. Damon? Why don't you leave her here for a while, Helen? We'll run some tests on her and take some x-rays. Give me a call tomorrow. Uh, what time? Any time. I'll be here all day. Now, let's have Tony here take her downstairs and get her bedded down, okay? Uh, uh, let me go with her. Now, Helen, you know we don't like the owners to go down there. Let Tony take her. She likes Tony, you know that. Uh, please, Dr. Damon, please let me. It's not good for the dog, Helen. I'll take my word for but it. But I have to. I have to go with her. I may never see her again. No, let's not be so pessimistic. Just let me, please. Okay. Okay, let her tag along, Tony. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, Trixie, baby. You could be all right. You'll see. Oh, my. These, these are the hard times. Very emotional, isn't she? Helen? I never knew she could be like this. You're married to her, aren't you? We've only been married a short while, but I've known her for more than 20 years. She was my private secretary, still is. And all that time, it never entered your head that she had feelings? Of course I knew she had feelings. Everybody has feelings. But not everybody lays them out for other people to see, right? I guess. For fear of offending others. For fear that others might turn away in embarrassment or... Worse still, in disgust. I'm not sure I'd put it that way. No? How would you put it? I don't know. I... I... I, I don't really know. Trixie stayed at Dr. Damon's for almost six weeks. Helen called every day and got varying reports. She became a little withdrawn, but still very efficient both at home and in the office. Then, one evening, we were at dinner... You like the meatloaf? Mm, good. New recipe. Cut it out of the newspaper. Hello? This is Dr. Damon. Oh, yes. This is Curtis Bisbee, Doctor. It's about Trixie, Mr. Bisbee. Her prospects aren't good. Oh. Matter of fact, they're very poor. Hopeless, actually. She's lost a lot of weight. We've been feeding her intravenously, but we can't keep that up indefinitely. The truth is, her whole metabolic system is broken down. I see. At her age, there's no hope of setting it to rights. So, if you and Helen want me to go ahead and give her a kind death... I don't think you should ask me. She's Helen's dog. Well, put Helen on, will you? Yes, yes, I will. Hold on. Helen, it's for you. Helen got up and came to the phone. As I handed it to her, I thought how calm she looked. It seemed that we were going to get through this without too much trouble. I understand. No, I really do. Clearly, Dr. Damon was telling her everything he just finished telling me. She was taking it admirably well, I thought. Yes, I see. All right, if you say so. Go ahead. And thank you, Dr. Damon. You didn't finish your meatloaf. Oh, I had enough. I ate most of it. Didn't you like it? I did. I did. I thought it was very good. I tell you what. You take the broccoli off your plate and put it on your salad plate. Trixie doesn't like vegetables. She won't eat them. But she does love meatloaf. So put it down on the floor for her. She'll gobble it up. 
I stared at her. She was engaged in finishing her dinner and didn't look up. I hunted for something to say, but couldn't find anything that would bring us back to Dr. Damon's phone call. Then I carefully scraped the broccoli onto my salad plate and put my dinner plate holding the scraps of meatloaf down on the floor. Helen went right on eating, as though nothing had happened. Is there anything more painful than love and loss? Is there anything more universal? Has anyone ever lived who did not at some time or other love deeply and then lose the loved one? The fact that in this account the loved and lost is a small dog does not in the least change the grief or alter its complexion. I'll be back shortly with Act Two. Tell me, do you believe you will ever die? I'm sure you know you will. You'd be silly to think otherwise, wouldn't you? Heaven forbid that you should be capable of such foolishness. But isn't there a secret segment of your personality which obstinately refuses to entertain the idea that one day you will abandon this world? Or worse still, that this world will abandon you? Listen now to the second act of the sensible thing. What had I got myself into? If I'd had any idea, but I didn't. Helen had always seemed such a sensible woman. I'd looked forward to a calm, peaceful life with her. Now, what was this, this craziness? I felt sorry to call it that, but what else could it be? I invented a story the next morning about seeing a customer across town. My excuse for not going to the office. And nine o'clock found me in Dr. Damon's office. All right now, Mr. Bisbee, calm down. Try to tell me what happened. When I handed the phone to Helen, I went back and sat down at the table. I could only hear her end of that conversation, naturally, but I took it for granted you were telling her what you told me about the dog, about, you know, the hopelessness of the whole situation, Doctor. That's right. And she seemed to be taking it so sensibly. She seemed to be agreeing with you, Dr. Damon, that there was only one thing to do. She was. But then she comes back to the table and... Come as you please. She tells me to take the broccoli off my plate. Trixie doesn't like vegetables, she says, but she likes meatloaf. So I should put my plate on the floor and Trixie will gobble it up. Well, that's what she said, Dr. Damon. Trixie will gobble it up. As though... As though you'd never told her. As though she'd never agreed. As though the, the dog was right there. Mm-hmm. She's denying everything, that's all. You can't deny death. I mean, there it is. You can't deny it. Can't you? To me, it seems very easy. What's hard is to accept it. You think so? I'm sure of it. Now, what do you want me to do with the dog's body? Well, I, I don't know. I suppose I should ask Helen, only the way she is right now, I don't know. There are crematoriums for pets, you know. Really? I had no idea. Sometimes that makes it easier. Oh, well, what do I say to her? I can't tell you what to say or when to say. Just follow your instincts and treat her gently. Very gently. 
It was hard to go home that night. No doubt about it. it. I was in way over my head. I'd no experience dealing with people who were irrational. I'd led a very conventional, controlled life. I'd never come up against anything like this. Curtis? Is that you? Oh, yes, it's me. You see your customer? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yes, I saw him. Spent most of the day with him. Get a big order? Oh, uh, big enough, I guess. Hungry? Not very, no, not really, no. Feel like having a drink? That's a good idea. Want me to make it for you? If you don't mind. Mm, of course I don't mind. Things were very quiet in the office today. You didn't miss anything, in case you were worried. I wasn't worried. You were there. Why should I worry? That's a very nice thing to say. Thank you. Well, you know as much about the business as I do. More, probably. No, I doubt that. Here's your drink. Thanks. Want anything to go with it? To nibble? No, thanks. Aren't you having anything? I never drink. You know that. I forgot. Helen, uh, I heard something today I thought you might be interested in. Did you know... I never knew that there are crematoriums for pets. You know, when the time comes, they have crematoriums. Did you know that? I didn't. No, I didn't know that. Well, they do. They're very nice. Really? Yeah, well, so I was told by somebody who should know. Well, it's something to keep in mind, isn't it? Helen? Oh, that's Trixie. You let her in, will you? Helen, it isn't Trixie. It's the dog next door. No, no, it's Trixie. I know her bark. Let her in, will you? Now go start dinner. With that, Helen left the room, bound for the kitchen. What she was thinking or feeling, I had no idea. But driven by something I could not possibly fathom. I went to the front door and opened it half expecting a small dog to look up at me gratefully and walk through it. I don't know why I did this. Perhaps I heard Dr. Damon's voice saying, treat her gently. I don't know. At any rate, a few seconds later, I closed the door. Then I went to the phone. Sorry to call you at home, Doctor. That's quite all right. I hope I didn't take you away from dinner. You didn't, no. Helen's in the kitchen right now. Give me a chance to call you without her hearing me. Dr. Damon, when I came home tonight, I told her about the place you mentioned. You know, the crematorium for pets. Oh, yes. Helen seemed interested, mildly anyway. I was, I was sort of leading up to, uh, you know, Trixie and everything. She just said very calmly, well... It's something to keep in mind, isn't it? And then, Dr. Damon, a dog barked outside. I, I happen to know that it was the dog that lives next door to us. Iris said her, I think. But as soon as she heard the bark, Helen said, That's Trixie. Let her in. Oh, dear. I told her, I said, Helen, it's not Trixie. It's the dog next door. But she just said, Calm as you please, but very firm. No, it's Trixie. I know her bark. Let her in, and I'll go get dinner started. Which she did, and I called you. I, I didn't know what else to do. Mr. Bisbee, there's a conflict going on in Helen. She knows the dog is dead, but she doesn't know it. Well, does that make sense? 
in a way it does. Not the kind of sense we're used to, but on another level it makes perfect sense. And it'll go on making sense till she's ready. Ready? Ready for what? Ready to accept the reality of her dear little dog's death. She hasn't done that yet. Until she does, uh, what about me? I think you're showing admirable understanding and forbearance. I am. There's nothing to be gained by trying to crash into another's obsession, hallucination, whatever you want to call it. You don't destroy it that way. You might even reinforce it. So the best thing to do is go along with it, which is what you're doing. And I congratulate you. I mumbled something and hung up the phone. When Helen called me for dinner, I put on some kind of a face for her benefit, and one way or another we got through dinner, mostly by talking about the office. Afterward, I took her to a movie. It must have been long after midnight when I woke up, suddenly wide awake and staring at the moonlight. The bed next to mine was empty, and from somewhere far off, I heard Helen's voice. Oh, Stanley. Stanley, darling. At least, it sounded like Helen's voice, but different from the voice I was used to. It seemed to be coming from downstairs. I put on a robe and slippers and crept down to the living room door and pressed my ear against it. I never knew anybody could be so happy. Certainly not me. I don't deserve happiness like this. I never expected it. It was meant for other people, not for me. Oh, I am so happy, I think I may die of it. It's too much for me. It's too good for me. Could this be my wife? Talking this way? And to whom? I waited, fear clawing at my heart to hear a man's voice. Stanley, will it always be like this? I mean, forever and ever. Tell me it will always be like this forever. Tell me it will never end till we grow old and we die. Die together. And then go on together, even after we've died. Tell me that, Stanley. Make me believe that. She sounded so young, so ardent, so alive, so in love. So lost in the wonder of things as though she were standing on the threshold of life itself. There has never been such a love as ours. Never. And never will be again. It was hardly bearable standing there in the hall listening to this ecstatic testimony to the power of love. I thought I felt tears in my eyes as though my heart could not bear to hear any more. It felt such pain. Such pain it was to listen so much love. And everyone will be good and kind, Stanley, because they will see. They will know that kindness and goodness are the important things. And the only way to be. I couldn't listen to any more. For less than a second, I thought I might open the door and burst into the room to confront her, to see whom she could be talking to. Was he in the room with her, or could she be talking to him from an open window while he stood outside in the dark? Or was she quite quite mad and talking to no one at all. I stumbled back upstairs, got into my bed and reached for the phone. Yes, yes, Dr. Damon speaking. Dr. Damon, I'm so sorry. I apologize for doing this to you at this hour, but I can't help it. Who, who is this, please? 
Oh, 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 I'm sorry. It's Curtis Bisbee. Will you forgive me? Oh, it's quite all right. I'm very upset. I am. Or I wouldn't be calling you at such an ungodly hour. Is it about Helen? Yes, about Helen. Yes, it's about Helen, Doctor. Tell me. Okay, I woke up a little while ago and Helen wasn't in her bed. And then I heard her voice. It sounded as though it was coming from downstairs. So I went down. I heard her voice coming from the living room. So I went over to the door and I I listened. Yes, go on. It was Helen, all right, only she didn't sound like Helen. What do you mean by that? She sounded like a young girl. A young girl in love, very much in love. Oh, it was Helen, all right, but not the Helen I've always known. Not like that at all. Something different, so passionate, so sure of herself. You know, Helen, you know she's not like that. Not with me, anyway. Maybe with this Stanley person, but not with me. Stanley? You said something about somebody named Stanley? That's who she was talking to. She called him by name. I didn't go into the room. I didn't want to, or I was afraid to. I, I don't know which. Maybe both. I don't know. Mr. Bisbee, let me talk to my wife, will you? In the morning, she's known Helen since she was born. If there's anybody named Stanley in Helen's life, she'll know about it. I'll ask her first thing in the morning. Dr. Damon, you don't think Helen may have lost her mind, do you? I know. I don't think so. She's always been so... So sensible. I tell you what, you leave Helen alone for now. Don't try to break in on her in any way. Just leave her alone. And I'll be in my office by eight tomorrow morning. See me there. I hung up the phone and laid there staring up at the ceiling where the moonlight was making shadows. I couldn't hear Helen's voice anymore, but lying there it came back to me. It echoed in my head. I never knew anyone could be so happy. I'm so happy I think I may die of it. Will it be like this forever? Where had I heard those words before, or words very like them? Spoken with that same urgency, that same breathless passion. Then it swept over me. I'd heard them almost 40 years ago, spoken in the same way by my first wife, my Emily the young girl I'd loved so much. Yes, tears were rolling down my cheeks when the door opened. Helen came in and got into her bed and quietly staring at the shadows, I wept. We forget nothing. I believe that. Sometimes we think we do. We are forever telling ourselves or being told by others to forget what happened. It's over. Forget it. Put it out of your mind. It's all in the past. Just forget it. And we try and we think we've succeeded. Till something happens or fails to happen. And there it is, fresh and clear and poignant. And not forgotten at all. I'll be back with Act Three shortly. Besides telling yourself and being told to forget it, put it out of your mind, have you also been told and told yourself that you must compromise, face reality, and settle for what's within your reach? Of course. 
And you think you are doing just that till you hear a voice, tiny but shrill, distant but demanding, and it cries out, no, no, I want more, more. I want it all. The next morning, I was out of the house early, giving the crosstown customer as my excuse. At eight o'clock on the dot, I was in Dr. Damon's office, and that good man was listening patiently. I have a small bit of information for you, Mr. Bisbee. I hope it helps. I need all the help I can get. My wife tells me there was a young man named Stanley who was thought to be interested in Helen. Stanley Dolan, his name was. When was this? Oh, a very long time ago. Twenty-five years ago, my wife thought. That would be before Helen came to work for me. I think Helen wasn't working at the time. She was just out of college and living at home with her parents. Everybody was very pleased when she started going steady with a young man. Everyone always liked Helen. What happened to him? Did he die or what? My wife didn't remember precisely. For about a year and a half, Helen was seen everywhere with him. Then suddenly, she wasn't. I suppose everybody took it for granted that they'd had a disagreement of some kind and broken up. Dr. Damon, the way Helen sounded last night by herself in the living room, she was terribly in love with him. I... I found it hard to listen to, if you want the truth. Why hard? It was such a... such an outpouring of feeling. Maybe I was embarrassed, I don't know. Feelings do seem to embarrass you, Mr. Bisbee, wouldn't you say? I don't know, or... The feelings of others? Perhaps. How about your own? Oh, I could never... I, I, I couldn't. No, 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 not possibly. You couldn't possibly do what? I couldn't expose myself like that. I just couldn't. What are you afraid of? I, I, I don't know exactly. Afraid someone will laugh? Afraid someone will look down on you? Or think you're strange or even contemptible? Is, is that it? I... Well, that could be it. And did you find Helen's outpouring laughable or strange? Or in the least contemptible? Heavens, no. I, I I, found it touching, believe it or not. Very touching. Even if she was talking to someone I never even heard of, I, I found that what she was saying was very touching. You know why? Tell me. After I went back to bed, I lay there wondering why, and it came to me that that was the way Emily used to talk to me when... We first found out we loved each other. Good Lord, I thought I'd forgotten years ago, but there it was. The memory of my dead wife and how she'd talked to me about the miracle that had happened to the two of us. Almost 40 years ago, Dr. Damon. 40 years. I have to tell you, I laid there in my bed, staring up at the ceiling, and I cried. I cried. Good for you. Good I stayed out all day, wandering around. Finally, I got home in time for dinner. Everything was uneventful until, again, I woke suddenly as I had before to find the moonlight filling the room, Helen's bed, empty, and her voice coming up to me from downstairs. Mother? Mother, has the mail come yet? As before, I got into my robe and slippers and went downstairs, where I put my ear to the living room door and listened. Wasn't there a letter for me? Mother? But there must have been. He always answers mine. He always answers right away. Well, almost right away. In a day or two, anyway. A week at the most. 
It's never been more than a week. This was a different girl from the other time. Still young, still eager, but anxious now. Trembling and insecure, almost desperate, but still holding on, holding on. He could be on his way home, couldn't he, Mother? Couldn't that be it? That he's on his way home, and he's coming back by boat? And you can't mail letters from a boat? Oh, I think that must be it. Don't you, Mother? Then, like a stab in the heart, I remembered when I had run off to New York with a young, appetizing woman who worked in the office... Telling Emily it was a business trip, but not writing home, not calling her, leaving her to wonder and wait and wonder. Had she called out to her mother, as Helen was now calling to hers, had I inflicted this much pain upon Emily? Stanley's not coming back, Mother. And he's not going to write. And I'll never see him again. And it was all for nothing. All for nothing. All that joy. All that hope. All that love. It was for nothing. I wish that I would die. Here. Now. True, I came back to Emily. She never asked for an explanation and I never offered one. We simply took up where we'd left off. If there was a look of pain in her eyes, I never noticed it. Or if I did, I looked away. Oh, Mother, I hate him. I hate him and I'll hate him forever. He knew I loved him. He did this to me. I hate him so much I could kill him. Oh, I wish he was here so I could kill him. Oh, Emily, did you hate me... Did you want to kill me? At least, my dear, you should have told me. Yes, you should have. I'd have understood. I think I would have understood. I understand now. I stole upstairs and into my bed. Dr. Damon here. Doctor, this is me. Curtis Bisbee, doctor. It's happened again. Helen was talking... To her mother about that, that young man. He must have gone off somewhere. Yes, yes. I was speaking to my wife at dinner. He went to England, she thinks. He never did come back. He never wrote to her. She never heard from him again. Did he die? Could be, I suppose. But death's a separation, too, isn't it? I, I don't think I know what you mean, Doctor. Either way, abandonment or death, something's been torn away. Obliterated. Does that mean anything to you? In a way, in a way it does. People think death is easier than being abandoned. Maybe so. But to my way of thinking, they're pretty near one and the same thing. Doctor, I have to hang up now. Helen's coming back. I do apologize for waking you. That's all right. I have some idea of what you're going through. Thank you, Doctor. Helen, why didn't you ever tell me about Stanley Dolan? Who? Stanley Dolan. Why didn't you ever tell me about him? Oh, Stanley. Heavens, that was ages ago, ages and ages. I'd forgotten all about him. I don't think so. Well, I had, my goodness. Tell me about him. 
There's nothing to tell, Curtis. Yes, there is. Well, Stanley was a boy I went out with for a while, for about a year, I guess, and then uh, we broke up. That's all? No, it's not. I haven't thought about Stanley Dolan in years. Not in years. I don't think you've ever stopped thinking about him. How can you say such a thing? Gracious. Have you? Of course I have. I married you, didn't I? Why didn't you ever marry Stanley? Well, I just didn't. That's all. I forget why. I guess it just wasn't meant to be. What happened? He... He just went off somewhere. Uh, England, I think. And I guess I just forgot about him or something. How do you happen to know about Stanley Dolan? Somebody mentioned him, said you'd known him pretty well. Oh, my goodness. Haven't people got anything better to talk about? I think people thought you were going to marry him. Yes, well, I didn't. Did you think so? I don't know. I may have. Did you? I... Yes. I thought so. And what happened? That you didn't? He went away. You told me to London. Then what? You don't want to know. I do. I want to know. We... We wrote to each other for a while, and then... Uh, then I wrote, but he didn't. He just stopped. That must have been pretty awful. Yes. Yes, it was. So there was just one reason why he didn't write. What was that? He didn't love me. That's why. He didn't love me anymore. He didn't want to see me anymore. He didn't want to have anything to do with me. Didn't even want to think about me, because if he would have thought about me for one little minute, he would have known... Known what? That he was killing me. Killing every bit of pride and self-respect I'd ever had. And he did. Oh, he did it. Only I went on living as though nothing had happened. I was all dead inside. But I went on living and working and talking to people and buying dresses and paying bills. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, let me hold you close. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Really, thank you. Cry all you want to. Oh, I don't have to. You don't have to, but it's all right if you do. Thank you. So we'll just stay here for a while and, and talk, and then I'll go down and let Trixie in if you want me to. You don't have to do that. I thought you wanted me to. Trixie's dead. Dr. Damon put her to sleep. I know. She was quite old. And very sick. And it was the best thing to do. Remember I told you about the crematorium they have for pets? Yes, somebody said it was nice, he told me. It is nice. I took Trixie there and had her cremated. And I have her ashes in a little box. That was very nice of you, Curtis. I couldn't have done that. In the morning, we'll take the little box and bury it. In the backyard, maybe. Under the apple tree. All right. And then for the rest of the day, 
Let's stay home. Not go to the office at all. What do you say? Well, all right. Oh, we can talk about... Uh, about you and about me and about all the things that have happened in our lives and how we feel about them. It'll be a nice day, don't you think? It was a very nice day. And it was the beginning of our being married. Really married, I mean. It was the beginning of feeling and trusting and truly loving. That's the end of the story called The Sensible Thing, whose alternate title we told you at the start is How to Kill a Ghost. There's only one way to keep from being haunted, and that's to spill out every bit of feeling connected with your ghost and thereby open your heart and let go. It may not seem like the sensible thing to do, but it is. I'll be back shortly. When you find the courage to open your heart and let your feelings spill out, try to be sure of two things that you know what your real feelings are and that the person to whom you expose them will not turn away. If you are truly honest, there's a very good chance that person will take courage from you and do what you have done. When that happens, don't turn away. Our cast included Lee Richardson, Terry Keane, and Louis Turin. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Tommy Grimes inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.